sentire media. Hello you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 146. Lorenzo versus Sixtus and America's beautiful cousin. 1471 to 1476. At the end of the last episode, we had Lorenzo de' Medici going off to Rome in 1471 to congratulate the new Pope, Francesco della Rovere, who took the name of Sixtus IV and we observed how the two initially made a good impression on each other. It was not to last. The first strain on the relationship and stain on Lorenzo's reputation came only a year later with the question of Volterra. It is a beautiful hilltop Tuscan city southwest of Florence in the current-day province of Pisa, which, at the time of our story, was under the control of Florence. The proud people of Volterra were none too pleased about this. They could date their glory back to the time of the Etruscans, so why should they be under the control of these new kids on the block Florentines? Then there was another issue. Volterra just happened to be sitting on a nice, rich alum mine. You will remember that alum was a substance that was used in the textile industry to fix dyes in clothes and was in high demand, particularly after the Turks had taken control of the mines in Anatolia. In 1472, an investment group was assigned the task of opening and running the mines in Volterra. This group included some agents in the Medici camp. The city government of Volterra voided the contract and, hey presto, Lorenzo had another issue to solve. He sent his man back to Volterra, this time with an armed escort, which wasn't much good to him because the group was attacked by a bunch of Volterrani, the inhabitants of Volterra, and they were killed. Volterra now started up a diplomatic onslaught, trying to get everyone on their side, including Florence's ally, Milan. War ensued, and Lorenzo, always the armchair or better desk general, sent Federico da Montefeltro, Duke of Urbino, to subdue the city with a mercenary army. Montefeltro is another very important figure that deserves a regular or Patreon episode. The diplomatic efforts of Volterra can't have been that good, because rather than come to their aid, Milan, Naples, and even the Pope sent troops to aid Florence. The Pope was convinced, thanks to Lorenzo promising something along the lines of Of course I won't let these new alum mines I'm going to get my hands on overshadow the mines in Tolfheim controlling for you. Yeah, right. The only people that actually did show up to aid Volterra were the ones who had always hated Florence's guts, the Republic of Siena. But they made no real difference. Vastly outnumbered, Volterra sued for peace. The gates were opened and the invading army entered peacefully and it seemed that that was that. Unfortunately, it wasn't. It seems that the troops that Volterra had actually hired 
unhappy about not getting paid, were the ones to start the looting. The Florentine troops were not going to pass up an opportunity for a bit of good old looting and pillaging, and so all hell broke loose. As is often the case, we have simplified the issue, which actually involved Lorenzo intervening in Volterra family feuds, other business partners from Siena, and so on and so forth. But if we were to go in-depth into every situation we touch upon, our podcast would get to episode 1000 without ever getting out of the Middle Ages. It seems that Lorenzo was genuinely shocked when he heard the news and offered to pay out of pocket for the building and compensation of the city. As we mentioned, the events of Volterra were a permanent mark against Lorenzo, to the point that in 2014, so relatively recently, there was an official ceremony in which the city of Florence apologised to the city of Volterra. The year after the sack of Volterra, 1473, saw the start of real animosity between Lorenzo and Pope Sixtus IV with the question of Imola. The city in the Romagna region, which you pass on your way down to the seaside and is important for a Formula One race, was under the control of Milan, who was in talks with Florence regarding the sale of the city to the Republic, thus allowing expansion northeast. Pope Sixtus was having none of it. He wanted the city for his nephew, Girolamo Riario, to start carving out a signoria, a fiefdom for him. Sixtus pressured the Duke of Milan into backing out of the deal with Florence and selling the city to his nephew, which Milan did. But now the would-be signore needed the cash. So who did the Pope turn to? Well, the Medici Bank, of course, perhaps in an attempt to pour salt in their wounds. Lorenzo refused, and it was a member of a rival banking family that ended up granting the loan, Jacopo de Pazzi. That same year, 1473, saw Lorenzo get a bit tired and go off on a little holiday up in the hills for a bit of poetry and philosophy, but he would soon have to get back to business. 1474 saw a provocation come from the papal side when a force sent with the intention of putting down a rebellion in the papal-controlled city of Todi sort of detoured to Città di Castello, a Florentine ally. The Signoria of Florence sent troops to help the city, enraging the Pope, who started to veto all business deals with the Medici Bank. With all of this tension and worry, there was still some time for partying and pageantry. After the great tournament of 1469, another was organised in 1475 in Piazza Santa Croce. While the first had been the tournament of Lorenzo, this time around was that of Giuliano. Giuliano de' Medici, Lorenzo's younger brother, as well as all the intellectual qualities of the family, also had something Lorenzo didn't. He was hot. While Lorenzo had a sort of Professor Snape look going, with a long, crooked nose, Giuliano was a sort of young, strong, sexy Adonis, beloved by the Florentines, the women especially. The tournament of 1475 was a monumental happening, the event of the decade that was immortalised in poems and paintings. After the joust of 1469, poet Luigi Pulci had written The Joust of Lorenzo the Magnificent, 
Now it was the turn of poet Angelo Poliziano to write the joust of Giuliano de' Medici. The first prize would be handed out by the queen of beauty of the tournament, a young woman originally from Genoa who had become the darling of Florence and Giuliano's great love, Simonetta Vespucci, the living Venus. Now the surname Vespucci should ring a bell. She was actually born, possibly in Genoa, a Cattaneo, a noble family who had lost a lot of their wealth and saw in the marriage with the Florentine banker Marco Vespucci a chance to get back in the saddle. If Vespucci hasn't clicked with you yet, let me take you back to Kreiser Elementary School back in 1987 when I myself was a Kreiser critter in Pulaski County, Virginia. The school took advantage of my parents being foreigners to organize a foreign culture day in which the immigrants would come and tell the American children something about their homeland. My father came to speak about Italy, my mother about the UK, a Japanese colleague of my father about Japan, then there was Chiro. Chiro was the closest thing that Pulaski had had to an Italian before we arrived, because he spoke Italian and he had a pizzeria. Chiro was actually Egyptian and spoke about Egypt. Now, to imagine my father talking about Italy to non-Italians, you can imagine the Greek father in the film My Big Fat Greek Wedding, when everything you could possibly mention originated from Greece. My father was the same with Italy. So, the first question my father asked the onlooking crowd of slightly intimidated kids looking up at this very loud man was, What country do you live in? To which the onlookers dutifully answered, The United States of America. The next question was, where does the name America come from? Which this time was met with a bit of confused silence. That was time for my dad's ta-da moment in which he proudly said, it is named after Amerigo Vespucci, an Italian. A Florentine to be precise, who at the time we are speaking of had not yet taken the voyage in which we had proved that what had been, let's say, discovered in 1492 was indeed a new world and not Asia, a discovery that would give his name to the new continent, America. You'll be pleased to know that the Q&A session then featured the standard questions about whether we have coke and cars in Italy. We have both. Amerigo was a cousin of the lucky Marco Vespucci, who married the breathtakingly beautiful Simonetta Cattaneo. Well, sort of lucky because gossip would have it that he had to share her with Giuliano de' Medici. It would be nice to say that you could actually see Simonetta's face staring back at you from Sandro Botticelli's Birth of Venus. Unfortunately, that has since been demonstrated to be a legend born in the Romantic period, and we can't now make that association, thanks to the party-pooper art history experts. It is in this period that Botticelli did paint some of his most famous and recognizable masterpieces, as well as the above-mentioned Birth of Venus, also the Primavera, the Spring, and others, all painted for the Medici to celebrate the themes of ancient Greece, youth, poetry, and beauty. 
Botticelli would also have designed some of the scenery and the armour of Lorenzo and Giuliano, the latter, of course, winning the day and receiving the prize of a beautifully crafted helmet by Verrocchio from the hands of Simonetta Vespucci. The great tournament would be followed that winter by a giant city-wide snowball fight, again with Simonetta as the queen and target of the winter celebrations, and apparently she could dish it out as well as she could take it. Sadly, just as Lorenzo lamented the passing of youth, this beauty's time on earth was not destined to last long. The following year, Simonetta Vespucci died at the age of only 23. Out, out, brief candle, as Macbeth put it. For now, after the tournament, it was Giuliano's time to shine. But would this younger Medici star shine brighter than that of his older brother? Most indications point to a deep and loving bond between the two, but there were signs that did not make it impossible for things to turn sour. This could be one of the reasons that led to yet another clash between Lorenzo and Sixtus, when Lorenzo was attempting to get a cardinalship for his brother, a move which was blocked by the Pope, who instead made two new cardinals of his nephews, Pietro Iario and Giuliano della Rovere, the future Pope Julius II. The Signoria of Florence would later refuse to elect the Pope's choice for the new Archbishop of Florence, Francesco Salviati, related to the Pazzi, which Lorenzo got blamed for. But it was a decision of the Signoria, although he most likely had a hand in it. That was one of the issues that the Pope could not seem to grasp. In his struggle against Lorenzo de' Medici, he saw him as just another signore, like King Ferrante, or the Duke of Milan, or the Duke of Urbino, or the Pope himself. In fact, Lorenzo remained lord of nothing officially. In any case, Sixtus imposed Salviati as the Bishop of Pisa, where the Signoria Florence had no say. But since Pisa was controlled by the Republic of Florence, they could refuse to let the Archbishop enter the city. Tensions were rising, and it was around this time that Lorenzo received a letter from his ally the Duke of Milan, Galeazzo Maria Sforza, warning him to be careful. You see, it seemed that some in Rome were starting to talk about the idea of getting rid of Lorenzo and Giuliano, a sort of who-will-rid-me-of-these-troublesome-Medici scenario. Then, in December of 1476, the Duke of Milan was assassinated and Florence lost a precious ally. What's more, a member of the now-long-standing alliance between Milan, Florence and Naples, the King of Naples, Ferrante, started to change his mind egged on by a now decidedly anti-Medici Duke of Urbino, Federico da Montefeltro. The Medici were growing increasingly isolated. If there was anyone who wished to make a move against them, now was the perfect time. As well as planning your move against the Medici, now is also the perfect time to become a Patreon supporter, especially with the Italian elections and government formation going on, giving me so much fodder to talk about in the News Cappuccino episodes. Also, remember to stay tuned till the end of the credits for this episode's sketch.
Thank you very, very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the first part of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level. That is Alison H, Amanda D, Anthony G, Brian J, Carrie W, C Lane, Cindy M, David P, Dean V, Dominique T, Emily B, Federica R, Francisco A, Gabriel S, Greg, Gunnar, Ignacio, Il Valentino, Jacob L, Jane J, Jeff M, Jeff S, Jeffrey W, Jesse and Shari, John W, and Juan Diego. And of course, thanks very much to my tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level supporters, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Rinat, David C, Oak, JW, Sen, and David A. If you would like to get in touch, you are more than welcome to do so. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com You can also follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Once again, thanks very much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Your Holiness. Yes? Your nephew is here. Oh, no! Tell him! Tell him I'm not here! I'm afraid he's already seen you. Oh, darn it! Uncle Frankie! Oh, my favourite beloved nephew! How are you? Have you got my rain together yet? Ah, yes. Good news. We're almost there. That's what you said this morning! Well, Bunny Rabbit, these things take time. I want Emma, I want it now. I'll see what I can do, my little prince. It's not even that great anyway. Nowhere near the sea. Why couldn't you get Mirimini? I told you it's a bit complicated with the Malatesta and all that. You know what my predecessor went through? You never get me what I want. Like one time with the pony. I wanted a pony! Well, to be fair, I did get you a whole army with lots of horses and knights to play with. Yes, but... But what? When I tried to comb and braid the horse's mane... Yes? Those mean knights made fun of me! Oh dear, well we can't have that now, can we? No! I want you to hang them! Hang them? I can't do that, I'm a man of God! I'll tell you what, why don't we get a few of the ones who made fun of you, then accuse them of heresy and burn them. Okay, buy one new cannon. Of course, my little warrior, whatever you want. Try not to shoot your face off. I wish. What? Nothing, nothing. Off you go and play now. Well, off you go. You really give me a little treat when I come to see you. What? Oh, very well. Here, have a hilltop town in Umbria. Just one? You gave me two yesterday. Okay, here's another castle in Romagna. Thanks, Uncle Frankie. You're the best. Hmm. 
Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.